Hello, hello, good morning, church. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, worship has already begun. There's a five-minute countdown, but that's not just five minutes until church begins, right? Because church is not a building, it's a people. You're constantly being church all the time, wherever you go. The idea that church begins here when that clock hits zero is... It's not in Scripture, right? You can't find that in the Bible. Instead, what you find is that Jesus comes and dwells with his people, right? That he builds a temple out of your lives and that he comes and dwells in that, in the midst of your life. And so here I am, just getting ready. I start to to pray during the five-minute countdown, and then, like, Jesus comes, I don't know if you've had this feeling, but Jesus is here. And I don't mean intellectually Jesus is here. Because we could be somewhere else, and he wouldn't be in this building. He would be with us. Right? I know some of you are at home right now, and Jesus is there. He is with you there. I know some of you are feeling that. Today, we're going over Psalm 27. Right? The big thing from Psalm 27, what is usually pulled out of this psalm, is that I seek the face of the Lord. That's the only thing I need to think about. It is, uh, psalm 27 inspires me because it is a song of confidence. It's a song of faith. And I don't mean I have faith in something that I can't see. That's what the Bible calls hope. Right When you hope for a positive return where you don't yet have experience. But faith is believing in something that you have experience in. And the psalm writer says so much in Psalm 27. He says, I know you're going to deliver me. I know you're going to lift me up. I know you're going to protect me. When my enemies are around me, I know you will make sure that I am taken care of. Mm. And I know for a lot of us, that's how we feel right now. Our enemies are around us. Our supports are crumbling underneath us. Jobs, relationships, friendships. What we thought was going to support us in our retirement, gone. What we thought was going to be the way our community was run is changing right underneath our feet. But the one thing that doesn't change is the faithfulness of our God. Amen. Right? Amen. You can say amen. Amen. You can say amen. 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 So we're going to stand up, we're going to sing, and we, well, I'm going to sing. We're going to sing at home. It's not safe to sing. So I hope, I know that's odd. It doesn't feel right. It's not right. We want to worship the Lord with our voices, right? But what good is using your voice when your heart isn't in it, right? We've all said things that we didn't believe. Let that not be true of our worship. Let your hearts sing this morning. Mm -hmm. Let your hearts worship the Lord. Worship the Lord with your bodies, right? You can stand. You can raise your hands. You can clap. You can dance for Jesus. Who here wants to dance for Jesus today? Who at home is dancing for Jesus? Wow, nobody raise your hand. Nobody wants to dance for Jesus. Not a big surprise. That's all right. (laughs) It'll come. It'll come. But this morning, we are going to worship the Lord, okay? We're going to worship Him as best we can right where we are. But we're going to worship Him because He is faithful. Because as we seek His face, He promises to be there in the midst of trouble, in the midst of despair. He is there. together and living out our life of faith together in worship and in deed, in, 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 our, in pouring forth our hearts to the Lord. 
And so I want to take a moment today to pray together, both here in person, but knowing that prayer is something that connects us together as one, even though we're separated by distance, even though there are those of us who have gathered to worship the Lord from And while he's grabbing that mic, I just want to encourage us. This is part of the work of the people. What Paul tells us in Romans is that, that there are certain things that we do as Christians that, that affirm our identity as children of God. He says in Romans 12, let love be genuine. And, and he goes through a whole list of all these things that, that are the genuine acts, the, the genuine deeds of followers of Christ. What it means to say is it's not just things we do, but this is the genuine nature of our character in Christ, a, a genuine shape of love. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, right? Paul calls us to this life that's not just a life that affirms certain ideas in our minds, but, but the shape of our lives. And so when we pray together, when we take time in our order of worship and, and lift our hearts before God in prayer, it's, it's that moment where we are rejoicing in the genuine love of followers of Christ, and so, as I mentioned, one of the things we certainly want to be able to celebrate and rejoice in is Dwight and Pat as they celebrate 40 years, is that correct? 40 years of marriage. 40 years. And not only that, if I understand correctly, it was 40 years ago today here in this building, correct? Uh, that's very cool. Now, I, I know that marriage is a joy and, and, and a treat. I know it's a challenge at times. So my one question for each of you is this. What's your secret? Men listen as Dwight speaks. Women as Pat speaks. But go ahead, Pat. You, you go first. Go ahead. You can, you can actually take the mic off okay. if you want. I think... Um, uh, yeah, I just pulled off. It's, hand, it's, it's hand, handheld. There you go. Thanks, Dwight. There's the secret. That's the secret to 40 years of marriage. Serve your wife. Go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of it, we kind of ignore each other a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I mean that in a good way. And uh, that um, maybe the word is maybe overlook. Mm. Um, yeah. Sometimes overlook some of the things that don't really matter. Yeah. Um, and just concentrate on the things that do. Yep. And uh, it's a lot easier that way. So sometimes uh, there's things that he does that are really great and some things that maybe aren't. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm sure that there's things about me that he feels the same way. So um, I think instead of maybe ignore, maybe it's overlook things. Yes, yeah. And um, that makes things a lot easier. And <laughs> Good. And also, uh, I think the... Um, Lord is a big part mm -hmm. of our relationship, too. Uh, many of you know that Dwight grew up in this church, um, his father, his mother, and his uh, grandparents also. And I came to know the Lord uh, through the Black Rock Teenagers group. But when we uh, met, we had, were grown-ups, and we had fallen away uh, from the church, and neither of us was attending any church services at that time. I had gone off to college and came back. Dwight had served in the Navy during Vietnam and come back, and neither of us was attending any church. At the time we met, we weren't looking to get married. Certainly, we weren't looking for any Christian companionship, and it wasn't until we um, were planning our wedding that we realized that we were both believers, mm. so it was pretty apparent to us that the Lord had something to do with bringing us together. Mm. So we feel the Lord had a part in our our marriage. That's awesome. Dwight, how about you? What's your secret? Uh, basically everything Pat said that uh, even when I get mad, you know, I stay mad for five minutes and that's yeah. it and it's yeah. over and done with. And basically, just for 40 years, I get up every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. But, uh, yeah. Even as far, I always went to church in the winter, but in yeah. the summertime I played softball. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but those days are over. But anyway, that's basically it. And, uh, you know, I've been going to this church for 77 years. So, yeah, wow. Um, in fact, Ed Soderberg's here. He's the only one that's been going longer. All right. We got a sticker right, for you, Ed. Ed. 
We'll give you a sticker later. So, uh, but anyway, the Lord has yeah. played a big role in, uh, uh, I don't know Amen. if anybody, um, I know some people know Ellen Anderson that used to go okay. here, who passed away. But she'd always look at me and say, you are living proof that God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> That was the terror of the church when I was <laughs> <laughs> We've got a few of those. That's basically it. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you very much. And I hope we uh, listen, dwell on what they just said, because I think there is wisdom beyond what we're able to glean in this one moment uh, for persevering with the Lord for 40 years. There's, I, I heard Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 as you were speaking. I, I think that there's much of what we're going to be spending time in Psalm 27 in your, in your sharing of that, that, that keeping God is the one thing uh, helps us to navigate the various storms of life. And that has great implications on our marriages. So what I'd like to do is ask the Lord's blessing on their marriages. They celebrate 40 years as we look forward to more years of joyful marriage together and, and other things that we have going on in the life of our congregation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for 40 years of faithfulness to one another, Lord. Lord, we know that, the, that those 40 years are characterized by different moments and different seasons, and yet you have been faithful to them, that you have been faithful to Pat and to Dwight in walking together in love and in marriage. Lord, I, I ask your blessing upon them as they celebrate these 40 years and as they look forward to more years of faithfulness with you, Jesus, at the center of their marriage. May you continue to give them that heart of Christ-like love that keeps no record of wrong, the, the, the spirit of, of holding you, Jesus, as their anchor in the midst of the storm, the, the, the one thing, the, the, the horizon upon which they pursue and, and follow after you, Jesus. May that keep their marriage strong, and may that keep all of our marriages strong as we trust in you, Jesus. May you remind us of the love of Christ that we can show to one another in our relationships, in our marriages, and in our families. Lord, I pray for all those marriages today that are facing difficult circumstances in the midst of uh, the, the changing uh, restrictions of, of living life in COVID. And uh, Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would remind those couples, those families, uh, that, that you call us to exercise the love of Christ in this season, not just when things get better, but now. And though that might be a challenge, we have the supernatural strength of Christ in us to help us to do that. Lord, I, uh, I also thank you and praise you that we can come before you on behalf of those whose families are going through a harder time this week. They're grieving. Lord, I think of Celine Aiken and her family as they uh, both celebrate and grieve the, the passing of Aunt Doris. And Lord, though she is home with you and this gives the family just an enormous amount of comfort to know that she is no longer in any pain or discomfort, but she is home and whole with you, Jesus. I pray for your comfort for the family as well, though, as they, as they feel that separation. Lord, I pray for all the families who are grieving because of either a loss of a family member or change of their circumstances. Lord, we know that you are in control. And so, Lord, we pray that in this season, the promises of Scripture would be true to these families, that that you are near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, we thank you that we can lift them before you, and we do that as your people. This is part of the work of your people, is to lift them up in prayer, and we do that now. Lord, I also uh, thank you for the chance to praise you for the successful surgery that Jan Hunt endured on Friday. Lord, that her, her, she came through the, the surgery on her ankle well. She's home resting with her uh, grandkids and uh, recovering. And Lord, we just uh, thank you that this is not just a matter of healing her ankle, but it's about growing her faith. And I pray that you would do that for all of us who are dealing with the physical discomforts that we face in this world, whether it's the discomfort of uh, body aches and pains or facing illness or uh, challenges that, Lord, that, that basically change the outlook of our future life, that we have got to live differently because of the challenge, the physical challenge we have to endure. Lord, I pray that you will be present in that physical discomfort and pain, that what would be uh, the praise we would give would not just be for the physical healing, but for the spiritual growth and maturity that happens as you walk us through that in faith. And lastly, Lord, I, I, I want to lift up Gary Kelb's sister Janine to you 
who has endured weeks and weeks and, and now months, Lord, of, of fighting this infection in her cervical spine. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would uh, guide the doctors as, they, as she endures through this MRI, give them wisdom and clarity to identify and pinpoint where this infection is coming from and how to best treat it. Lord, I thank you for how you have walked beside her, and I pray, Lord, that, that this would be that time in her life where, she, where you are most visibly clear to her and to her family, that you were doing a work in her life, Lord, not just to heal her from the, the physical uh, discomfort and pain and, and frustration of, of this infection in her cervical spine, but, Lord, that you are healing a work in her heart. Lord, I, I thank you that uh, we can go before you on behalf of Gary's sister, Janine, that we can go before you as brothers and sisters in Christ with Gary here at, at Trinity, and I pray, Lord, that you would hear our prayers. Hear our prayers for all those who are facing the unknown, the, 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 the uncertainty of what the future holds. Lord, may we as a people, may we recognize that the work of your people is to love one another through coming before you on their behalf and, and, and seeking your face for them. Lord, we do that now in this time of worship. And we do it because you alone have the answers that we long for. Lord, we, we love you as your people. We love you and desire to be more like you. May this time of worship shape our hearts and minds after yours. As a people, Lord, we seek your face. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Congratulations again. salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the, the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evil doers come upon me to devour my flesh, my, adver my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host, in, a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war, war against arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all, day, all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And for the, for the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tarpon, tarpon. Tabernacle. Tabernacle, in the in the secret place of his tent, he will see, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted above, up above the enemies, my enemies around me, and I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing yes. I will praise. I will sing praise to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me, and do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me to the one I did, I, the one desire of my adversary. adversaries. For, so, for false, false witnesses, have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despired unless I had believed that I would see the, go the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord.
Thanks, Max. So the question that begs to be asked this morning as we listen to Max reading Psalm 27 is, what brings you joy and great delight? Right? Like when you think about what's going on in your heart, what brings you joy and great delight? Maybe it's that moment where you see the sun rise and you're just struck by the beauty of nature. Maybe it's gathering together with family members and feeling the joy of being together and laughing and, and enjoying one another's company. What brings you great delight? Now, see, I, I think part of what we need to understand is that our makeup as creatures, as ones who have been created, is that God's design is that we would take great joy and delight in things. See, the gift that God has given us in this design is that the joy and the delight that we take in something is something that can actually lead us through the storms that we face in this world. They can help guide us through the places of most difficulty that we face. They can be an anchor in the midst of life's storms. Now, David, who's the author of the psalm this morning, you better believe that he faced some serious circumstances. He grew up as a shepherd. The scriptures tell us that he had to fight off lions and bears, that, 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 that he, he grew up not just as a shepherd, but became a soldier and faced many enemies. He became a king and, and, and was responsible with ruling a kingdom. David had many opportunities to face challenges that brought him to the brink, and at times even over the brink. And yet, somehow, the scriptures speak of him as being a, a man after God's own heart. See, though, though the storms of life crashed down on David, though, though the challenges seemed insurmountable in David's life, still he persisted. See, David, I believe, is a foreshadow. He's a character, he's a person in the Bible who, who God has placed into history as a foreshadow of what's to come. Specifically, he is a foreshadow of the life of Jesus, our true king. But in that, Jesus tells a parable that I think David is a foreshadow of. You may remember in the, in the, the um, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells a story of the two builders. And one builder builds his house foolishly on a foundation of sand. So when you know, the wind blows, that house comes toppling down. But the wise man, the builder that I believe David is a foreshadow of, he wisely builds his house on a, a rock foundation. So that rock foundation was there so that when the storm came, his house, house withstood the storm. I wonder how many of us can relate to David this morning. In fact, I imagine that many of us can relate to David this morning. When Max was reading verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 27 for us, it says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, and then later, though an army encamp against me, can you relate to that? Do you identify things that are attacking, not just people, but thoughts? Concerns, worries that are attacking your heart and your soul, making you question the, the reality that you face and, and how you're going to endure through the challenges that are in front of you. See, I think though we can't be certain of what specific circumstances David faced, he faced some dark and challenging times. I mean, you look at the narrative of Scripture, you, you look at the record of history of what David went through. I mean, as a, as a soldier and as a, a leader of, of other soldiers, David found himself actually being hunted by his commander and his king. Saul wanted to kill him. He was jealous of David. And he chased him over throughout the land trying to kill him numerous times. I mean, you've got to think that this could be, this could be an, an example of when David is describing or writing this psalm, a, a time when he felt like he was under attack. Or, or maybe another time later on in his life when his own son betrays him. He turns the people against him to the point where David is forced to leave the throne to flee Jerusalem and head out into the wilderness to run away from, from his own son and, and his son and the people that have now come around his son. Now, that's not just a physical threat on his life. His soul was under attack. Betrayal hurts. And it's a, 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 that sense of abandonment is painful. You better believe that this is a description of even that moment in David's life. See, beyond those, those, those places where David is uh, facing these physical threats, there are pains and challenges and circumstances that we all face, just like David, th that seem too dark to be able to get through. Listen, listen again, like, but, but, but in that, listen to David's heart. Because here in verses 1 through 3, he says this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Somehow, somewhere, David has a confidence that seems unnatural. See, David is, is confident in spite of the fact that his enemies are hunting him down like a pack of wolves hungry for their dinner meal, right? See, I think David taps into this supernatural strength in the face of affliction. Somehow, David is able to take joy and delight in the midst of the challenges that he faces. What are the ways that we typically face difficult circumstances? When, when we're feeling worn out and torn down, when we're ready to just kind of cash it in and say, I'm done, I'm going to bed. It's, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done with today, right? When we have those kinds of days, what are the things we typically do to face these difficult circumstances? See, I think the world offers numerous options to numb the pain and to make us forget our, our difficulties for a while, but none of the things that, we, that the world offers, none of them actually deal with the challenges that we face. Pain meds just manage the level of pain that we have. They don't, they don't actually make the pain go away, right? What about uh, TV, food? Retail therapy, all great ways to numb the pain or make us forget about what we're going through. But the reality is that none of them make the, the pain actually go away. They don't deal with the source of the problem. They're just a temporary escape. Alcohol can both numb the pain and give you a temporary escape, but, but the problem will still be there when that alcohol, when the drink wears off, right? See, most things that we take delight in are insufficient to help us through our trouble. They're not enough. They're not strong enough. They're not great enough. They're, they're not lasting enough. But God's design for his people in facing difficult circumstances is actually to lead them through to better things. Right? Think of Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, David describes our shepherd as taking us through the difficulties that we face. Right? Does he... Does he tell us that uh, the, the Jesus, our shepherd, will lead us around the challenges? No. He, he says, I'm going to lead you through the challenges, the afflictions that you face, to, to green pastures and beside quiet waters. Listen to the first few verses of, of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me Again, there's the Jesus leading us. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David has comfort in the midst of his affliction. He's not saying, Dan, just hang in there, because once you get on the other side, you'll feel a lot better. David describes a faith that when we allow Jesus to lead us in the midst of the affliction, when we make Jesus our one thing, he will lead us, he will restore us, and he'll lead us to places far greater than we can ask or imagine. Green pastures, quiet waters, places where we are described as being comforted by his rod and his staff, his leadership and his guidance in our life. Now, I think if, we were, if we're in the midst of these afflictions, we look at our circumstances and we think, that's impossible. I have tried what feels like almost everything to lift my spirits, to be encouraged, to keep going in this difficult time, and yet I struggle to see how God is going to lead me through this. But in the midst of facing down the darkness of death and evil that characterizes this world, David yet describes his inmost being as being comforted as being confident, as being at rest. And, and here's the thing, because this is what I love, right? David doesn't offer us a five-step program to success. David doesn't even offer us a three-step program to success. David offers us one thing. Now, if you're anything like me, this is good news. Give me five instructions, five things to do, and I'm lost after the second one. I forgot the rest of the instructions. 
I'm not good at taking five things at a time. Maybe you're like me, and this is good news that Jesus has given his people. He's designed us for a one-step process for success in this life. Listen again to verses 4 through 6 in our passage. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day, day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifice, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, David's one thing, his one desire, his one focus is to desire the Lord. Four different times in these verses, he talks about being in the presence of God. He says he desires to dwell in the house of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to be hidden in his shelter. And then twice he speaks of being in the tent of the Lord. See, I think it's important for us to understand when we think about God, when we even consider what is our theology about God and understand the character of God, it's important for us to understand that from the very beginning of creation, God desires for his people to be with him. God's desire as our creator is not to be off in some distant place, shining down his glory on us and being at a distance to guide and direct us from far off. His desire is to be with us. In the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve. When Abraham was in the wilderness, God met with him at the Oak of Mamre. When, when Israel was, was led out of captivity in Egypt, God's presence went before his people in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When, when God sent his son into this world, he named him Emmanuel, God with us. It has been God's desire all along for him to be with his people. And he's designed us, he's created us with that very same desire. You may not be able to put your finger on, on the pulse of what your desires are this morning, but, but I'd ask you to maybe consider trusting me, not, not me, trust, trust the scriptures. That you've been created with this one desire to dwell in the presence of God. In Psalm 26, 8, David declares, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. See, his greatest delight was to be near God. It wasn't that David wanted to be a priest or a Levite. He, he didn't have aspirations for this um, kind of being in the limelight and, and holding to this, uh, this kind of central figure in the life of Israel. David had a preference for God above all else. Listen to that. David had a practice, uh, had a preference for God above all else. This is the essence of a life of a disciple. When, when I think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus' life and teaching, to follow after him and become like him, it's to think, what does it look like, Dan, to practice the preference for God in everything you do? To see God as your preference above all else. And so the question this morning, what's your greatest delight? Where do you find comfort in, in the midst of your day-to-day -day living? When you face affliction or trouble or difficulty or the unknown, what brings you comfort? Now this may sound odd to you, but I think of this in my life, an example of what it means to, to, to have a preference for God I think of growing up and going to my grandmother's house. On Sunday afternoons, I, I, I think about walking in her house and, and, and just my senses being overwhelmed by the smells and sounds and the, the warmth of being at my grandma's house. The smell of the pot roast cooking or uh, the bowl of potpourri that she always left on the coffee table. Oh, I, I look forward to getting hugs from her or, or making her laugh and hearing her laughter fill the, the house, Right? My grandmother's house was, was a place of warmth for me. No matter what was going on in my world with my friends or at school or, or within my family, going to my grandmother's house filled me with such warmth and, and confidence and strength and comfort. I wonder, do, do you have a place in this world that, that, that kind of 
reminds you of, of the, the, the comfort and the confidence we have in, in being in God's presence. This is God a, a warm refuge like this for you? Is he the place that you desire to escape to, to, to flee to, to, not flee to, to, to cling to, to, to run toward when challenges come up in this world? Or, or, or not even that. Let's back up a second. Rather than having to run to God, run to his presence, do you have uh, such a, a preference for him that when afflictions come, you're quickly reminded of his presence in your life and his his guidance in your life. See, this is how David describes being in God's presence. He says, one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord and, and to gaze upon his beauty. Now, gazing, gazing is not like a quick glance, right? Gazing is not something you do when you're, when, when, uh, you're, you know, you're doing something on the, uh, in the kitchen and your wife walks in and says, hey, how does this look on me? Good, Right? That'll get you in trouble. Gazing is this steady, sustained focus, right? Gazing upon the Lord is about keeping our focus on what is true and good and beautiful, and it bears fruit in our life. It actually makes a difference in the life we're living when we gaze upon the Lord, when we, when we focus on what is true and good and beautiful in Him, I don't know if, if you get car sick or motion sick, but, but has anyone ever told you that when, uh, when, when you're getting motion sick or someone in your, in your circle of friends or your, your family is getting motion sick, they say, fix your eyes on a, on a set or a fixed point on the horizon. Keep your focus there. Do you, have you ever heard that? Yeah, let's see some nodding heads. Good. Do you know why they, they say to do that? Because when we get motion sick, there's, there's a disorientation between your vision your posture, and your inner ears. Scientifically, medically speaking, that, that what's happening when you get motion sick is that these three things, your vision, your posture, and your inner ears are out of order. They're, out, they're disoriented from one another. And this disorientation results in this, the, 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 the sickness that you feel. But, but this is what I love is, is so beautiful. When you, when you fix your posture, when you set your eyes on a fixed point on the horizon, those things begin to reorient together again. This is the beauty of God, right? Not only has he designed our bodies to be oriented together in, in, in kind of working in conjunction with one another, he's designed our soul to be reoriented around one thing, him. Our bodies and our souls have been designed to regain our, our orientation, to, to be reoriented by, by balancing our gaze at one thing. But, but that's a challenge, right? Because when we are disoriented, it's very hard to, to slow down, to settle and gaze at one thing. Why is that? Because we live in a world of plenty, right? If you can have a three-pack of something, how much better is a five-pack? If gazing at one thing is so good for David, how much better would it be if he has five beautiful things to gaze at? But the problem is it's not better at all. Because you can't gaze at those five things well, can you? They become glances. They, they, begun, they begin to, to interact or to, to compete with one another for your attention. And so you don't end up gazing at any of them very well. You, you don't focus at any of them very well. See, in a world of plenty, all we truly need is one thing. We need to draw near to God, to gaze upon his beauty, to take refuge in him. And I believe that in this way, our faith works in our life like an anchor works for a boat in keeping it in one place. See, an anchor keeps us stationary in the place of life that we long to be when the waves of, of the circumstance of our lives, when the storms well up, it, it keeps us anchored in the place that we want to be, that we need to be, when the circumstances of life try to push us off course. This past summer, my family and I vacationed in Pennsylvania for uh, a, few, a number of days, about a week, and we rented a pontoon boat for a few hours. Now, when you're getting into the boat, they have someone kind of give you instructions, and they, they show you the anchor. They say, now make sure you tie the anchor to the boat before you put it in the water, otherwise the boat won't stay in place. I think, wow, that's genius. That's, that makes sense, right? 
But then they go on to say that once you've tied the anchor off and you drop in the water, make sure you lift it up and drop it down again to, to make sure that it's secure and in place, right? The purpose is that the anchor secured in one place makes sure that the boat stays in one place. So we're out in the water driving around. We see an island and we think, hey, this would be kind of cool. We got life preservers. Let's anchor the boat and swim to the island. So my parents stay on the boat and uh, Tara and I and the kids, we get our life vests, vests on, jump in and we swim to the island. It's cool. It's, it's very cool. Like going, walking around the island, exploring what feels like not many people have been on yet, or they have, but no one else is on it when you're there. And then we get back to the water to swim out to the boat. But the problem is, apparently I hadn't secured the anchor very well because uh, we get back to the water and the boat is a bit further than it was when we first came to the island. And so here I am, swimming with all my might, trying to tow three wonderful kids back to the boat. And it was a challenge, right? But, but that's because the beauty of an anchor, firmly anchored in the ground, keeps the boat in one place. Now, if I had done my job, if I had kept that anchor, if I had secured that anchor appropriately, then the swim back wouldn't have been bad at all. Actually, the swim back wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But the point is, that our boats drift, our, our lives drift when we don't maintain our focus on that one thing. So what is, what is your anchor in this world? When, when the seas get choppy in your life, what is it you take great delight in, take great joy in, that, that you receive your comfort and confidence from? What's your, what, what, what's, what's your anchor that you secure your life to? in the midst of uh, the life storms. See, David's security is found in his greatest priority, his one thing. The Lord is his light and his salvation, he says. When his enemies are stacked up against him, his anchor, it remains secure. When, when his, those close to him, his mother and father forsake him, betray him, his future hope is secure. He believes that he will look upon the land of the living, the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. But here's the thing. David's tone takes a turn in our psalm. It goes from this place of confidence, declaring his confidence, to, to crying out for mercy, to pleading with the Lord. He says in Psalm 27, 7, he says this in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Now, see, I don't think David has kind of lost sight of what his confidence is. I think David, here in Psalm 27, is doing what we talked about last week. He's talking to himself. It's not crazy. It's completely normal. Talk to yourself. It's okay. David's done it. David was a man that was described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. If he can do it, we can too. Talk to yourself. It's okay. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. Answer me. Those first six verses in our passage today are there to remind him of the confidence he has because the circumstances that he is facing are challenging and difficult. It's okay for you to say that the, the circumstances you're facing are challenging and difficult and are too much for you. You can't handle it, but God can. And so we call upon him. We cry out. We be gracious to me. Answer me. See, I think this is why in the midst of David's affliction, in the midst of his circumstances, because of that firm confidence in who God is and what he's done, and because he has confidence that God will continue to be the same God in the future, he can cry out the verses of 13 and 14 in the psalm. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. He's talking to himself. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, I think one of the greatest and most countercultural acts of our faith is waiting upon the Lord. Countercultural because in our world, you pull your boots, you pull your boots up by your bootstraps and you keep going, Right? You just, if you're having a hard time, you just try harder. Power through it. You can do it, right? But our faith tells us, no, slow down, Dan. Wait upon the Lord. It may go against everything in our mind and body and soul, but here's the thing. It's what we've been created for. 
You and I were created for a supernatural dependence on a higher power to do what only God can do, to allow the outcome of our lives to be up to him. That feels very unnatural to me. But I believe that I have been created to have a supernatural dependence on God, to leave the outcome of my circumstances up to him, to trust that the promises he's made in Scripture are good and true and will come to pass in my life as I gaze upon him. And in that place of waiting, God is active in our lives. This is not a, a waiting where we grab a bag of chips and sit back on the couch and start flipping through the channels. This is a type of waiting where we cling to the Lord, where we gaze upon him, where we go to him and, and proclaim the, the concerns we have and also the hope we have in him. Because as we wait upon the Lord, as we cling to him in faith, God is extremely active, transforming us from the inside out and bringing about renewal. In the ch uh, chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, God says this. He says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now that is not a renewal that we bring about. It may sound like that as I read through verse 31, but, but this is not something that we accomplish because when we wait upon the Lord, when we, when we have a steady focus on that one thing of the Lord, it's a work that he does in our lives to bring about the renewal that we can only receive from him. Many of us face difficult and challenging circumstances, but our circumstances don't determine our future. God does. And as we wait on the Lord in faith and choose him as our one thing that we desire above all else, the work he's doing in us is to renew our hope and our faith and our strength and our confidence in him. So this morning, I want to ask, can you use a little renewal? I know I can. In fact, I know you can. And because of that, I encourage you to choose Jesus, to choose the Lord as your one thing that you will gaze upon, that you will maintain that steady focus on. See, our lives, guided by a single purpose, will find security in both good and difficult times through our relationship with God. Allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the outcome of our circumstances isn't up to me. It's not up to your individual children. It's up to you. And so, Lord, we, in faith, hold to the hope the, of, of the future you have promised. That we will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That, that you will meet with us in the darkness of our circumstances and lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to those green pastures beside that quiet water. Lord, I pray for your people, the people of God this morning, that you will strengthen us, that you will renew us, that we will find our strength in you. And Lord, we won't feel stressed or burdened to, to figure out five things to do, but we'll walk away simply with one thing, one thing, one thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the chat, I'm taking notes, and one of the things I write is the title to the book that David has written for us. Dan talked about he gives us a one-step one step solution, right? And how many, how many marketing things have you seen? Three steps to do X, Y, Z without having LMNOP, right? So this is King David's book, right? Seek his face. How to have confidence and security without insert whatever else you would do here, right? How to have confidence and security in the Lord without pulling up your bootstraps, without overworking, 
without fearing and controlling the situation. Now, we're here because we have made a proclamation that we believe in the Lord. But some of us, especially those watching online, may not be in that place yet. Maybe you haven't done that, or maybe you've done it in the past, but you've sort of forgotten that He is faithful, right? That happens all the time. I know God's good, but if I can just solve this problem, I don't need Him. How many ever experienced that? Anybody? Mm -hmm. Two hands? Thank you. Three hands? All right. Just checking to see if there's a pulse. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. But David gives us that one step. Seek the Lord. Turn to Him. If you can say what this next song says, Lord, I need you, then He will be with you. So as we, as we play, I just want you to echo that phrase in your heart, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. One thing. May we go from here with that focus on one thing that we will pursue with our heart's full attention. May Jesus be our focus. Before we go, I just want to encourage you that the sign-ups for our worship services in September are online. Go ahead and sign up for two out of those services. And, and as we go, if we can uh, afford more than that, we'll, we'll let you know. And, and love to have you here. It's great to see faces here and know that we've gathered online and we are together one around Jesus Christ, our one thing himself. I also want to let you know that it's important to me to know that we are carrying this conversation on into the, the latter part of our week, that we continue what Jesus has been impressing upon our hearts this morning later on into the week. And so, uh, I, Eliza, I'll answer your question later. My daughter's raising her hand. Uh, so, what's your, what, <laughs> how are you carrying that conversation on into the latter part of the week? We've, uh, we're, we're releasing the podcast every week to help with that. I hope you're taking advantage of listening to that and, and talking about it with someone else. Let God continue to do a work that he's been doing on Sunday morning throughout your week. Use that podcast as a tool to help you with that. And then lastly, I encourage you to know that we continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with uh, Fairfield County and to the ends of the earth. And your faithful giving to that uh, ministry is important to us. And so there are, there are uh, other ways to give to the, the gospel ministry here. If you're here in the service, there are boxes, generosity boxes at the back of the sanctuary and on your way out the door. You can leave your tithe envelope in that. You can mail that envelope to the church office and we'll be counting it. You could go online to the website and give there or you can give through the app as well as text to give and know that the support of the church is helping to share this good news of Jesus Christ. This one thing, this one thing with those who need to hear that in the midst of the storm they have an anchor that will secure them so that they too can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I wonder if you'll now receive the benediction as we close our time in worship this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.